really all I can think about is just some guy who only learned how to use a screwdriver, but is so incredibly good. He could do things with screwdrivers that like you would never think of. Oh, you need to saw that log in half. Let me pull out my Phillips. (laughs) Hello, Matt. Michael. Uh, Would you like to do a podcast? Indeed. Let's do it. Welcome to Hacking the Grepson, where today we are going to... Actually, you know what? How are you, Matt? I am adequate. How are you? (laughs) Goings are moderate. I... Just uh, went on a bike ride um, using my electric bike. Uh, It was good for the first half. I went up a big hill and then down a big hill. And then when I got ready to come back up the big hill and then down the hill again to come home, I realized my battery was dead. Oh, no. So I walked my 75-pound bike up that hill. And I, Matt, would not recommend doing that ever again. I have said it before. I'll say it again. Exercise. Bad idea. (laughs) But as bad as an idea as it is, I feel like it, this leads us into today's topic in, in, in a, in a, in an oblique way. In that they both have the word bad in them. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Or, or maybe, you know, there might be an even better correlation, but we'll get there. Um, so we wanted to talk today about this uh, blog post from the Coder's Playbook entitled 10, that's 10, not 11, not 9, but 10 coding habits that make you a bad programmer. Uh, let's start with segment one, the art of coding and the pitfalls of overconfidence. Segment one, the art of coding and the pitfalls of overconfidence. Yes. Sounded Uh, sounded right. (laughs) Obi-Wan, please tell us the first uh, habit of a bad programmer. And already the first one I disagree with. Um, Master of all, ace of none. Basically, they're saying that being a jack of all trades, master of none is a bad idea. And clearly, these are people who did not uh, have not heard the rest of that adage, which is jack of all trades, master of none, but better still than a master of one. Oh, you know what? I learned something. I didn't know there was a second half. Nobody ever says that part. Most people don't. And it completely changes the meaning of that statement. Oh. So so can you explain roughly what they're saying and why they think it's bad and why you disagree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, They are saying that basically instead of learning every single programming language in existence, you should pick one and learn it completely every little nook and cranny of it all of all of its nuances and i don't necessarily agree that that's a good idea but i think mm-hmm. maybe that's a very beginner focused type of tip to learn one language but i would actually argue that it's a bad idea even for beginners so you think that uh you should just try to learn like multiple languages at the same time or what I think that programming languages are a tool. And just like it would be silly to learn every single possible way you can use every single kind of screwdriver, right? 
This is my mm-hmm. one tool, and I'm going to learn how to use it this way, and I'm going to learn how to use it that way. <laughs> I'm the I'm, screwdriver guy. <laughs> and like, and then someone's like, hey, I've got a nail. And you're like, uh, I can't help you, right? Programming languages are a tool. So you have a thing that you want to do, and then you're like, what tool is the right tool to solve this problem? And then you use that tool. Now, does that mean you need to learn every language? No, absolutely not. But I made a point of learning, like, in addition to C and Pascal when I was first learning programming languages, I went off and, like, studied Forth and Lisp and programming languages that work in different ways uh, Mm -hmm. so that I would know which to use. Sometimes JavaScript makes a lot of sense. Sometimes it's a really stupid choice for what you're doing. (laughs) And you would probably say most of the time it's the worst choice, right? If you're not doing front-end UI development, yes, I would say it's a terrible choice. It's right. not uh, built well, for any of those other things, no matter what right. people keep trying to tack onto it. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I try to think about kind of how my programming journey was, and I find it, I mean, they, they basically say, focus on one language, immerse yourself in it, understand its nuances, and become a true master. You know, if, if, you, if you compare this to, like, uh, spoken languages, you know, they're basically like learn English as much as you can, every single facet of it, before you even touch any other language. And as someone who loves Duolingo and uh, jumping between languages, just because I like seeing how languages differ and are the same and how they use the syntax different and use, you know, uh, word order differently, that's not really my habit. Uh, I kind of like, you know, I like communicating. So I think I agree with you. I like communicating. And one of the ways to do that is a language, but there's many different ways that you could do that. So yeah, I I think I'm with you on that one, but really all I can think about is just some guy who only learned how to use a screwdriver, but is so incredibly good. He could do things with screwdrivers that like you would never think of. Oh, you need to saw that log in half. Let me pull out my Phillips. (laughs) (laughs) And he like sticks it onto a machine and yeah. Okay. It becomes That's a lathe. Good. Yeah. I think I, I think with this one, and they also use that language analogy, I think my advice on this would be become proficient mm. in a language. Get to the point where you can comfortably write code quickly. Like if you have a quick idea and you want to do it, learn a language well enough to get to that point. And then see what else is out there. Because some languages are more fun to work in than others. Some are more uh, useful than others. And just mm-hmm. see what you like doing and what appeals to you. Because everyone does if, – if you ask me to do embedded programming, I'm going to do a much worse job at it than most people I know will do at, say, like object-oriented programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this did make me think of one potential argument against that, though. What about if you are a beginning programmer and you're trying to get a job? Wouldn't uh, an employer rather you be – very, very good at a language rather than sort of good at many languages? There are many employers out there who think that way. I Mm. believe also that that is the perspective that this article is coming from as well, is the employment aspect of it and not the uh, being a good programmer aspect. Uh, And yeah, from that perspective, it is better to know a language really well at some companies. Uh, I would say to those companies, you're doing hiring wrong. It's not about mm. having a basic uh, – it's not about someone knows Java really well. You want to hire someone smart and teachable. Those are always my my things. And you can pick up a new programming language. It's not hard. My first job out of college, I ended up being the lead doing software development 
in Ada 95, which I had never seen before or heard of. Yeah. You, know, you can learn a new language. It's not that hard. Okay. That's a good rebuttal. Uh, so number two, I will take. Uh, this is called The Overworking Overlord. Basically is don't overwork. Don't stay up till 2 a.m. Don't get no sleep. Don't eat terribly. Don't become a programming vampire. Uh, I mean, I think it's hard to disagree with this because, yes, coding can be fun and it can be tough and you could have to put in long hours to, like, get to that eureka moment. But it's definitely something that, like, a lot of employers, I think, prey on. The young person with no that's not married, doesn't have kids, wants to throw themselves into a job so that they can overwork them to, you know, a husk. Uh, and you know, I, I, that's not healthy. It's not healthy. I mean, despite the fact that I just pushed my 75 pound e-bike up a hill, uh, I would not recommend that, but I would recommend the first part of it, which was riding it. That was fun. And that is a better use of my time than staying up till 3am hacking on something night in night out. So, I mean, would you agree in general with this? Yeah, everything you just said, uh, I agree with. Um, I think they actually make a good point here, which is balance is key. Um, mm-hmm. And that I very much agree with. I, I, everything in moderation, and as I like to add on to that, including moderation. Including moderation, yes. Sometimes <laughs> you do want to, in fact, overwork yourself. Um, but, you know, not always. Um, my, I've definitely worked for employers that took advantage of this. Sometimes it makes sense. Maybe you're working for a startup and you've got a big push coming and it makes sense to work late, great. Uh, that company should be rewarding you for that. Um, and they probably won't. And sometimes also, like, it'll be three in the morning now when I am not in that, not in that state anymore of needing to be a, of being a 20-year-old with no family and, and needing to prove myself or whatever. Um, there's times now where I, you know, will stay up really late because I'm interested in what I'm doing or I'm, I'm in the mm-hmm. zone uh, yeah. And then it makes sense in those cases. But in general, working late to work late, which a lot of people will do, especially fresh out of college, they're like, well, I just I got to get more done. So I'll stay up late. It, it ends up with negative work. Like you, you end up doing less work than you would if you just went home and got a night's sleep. And yeah. I often solve problems, you know, while I'm not working, I'll go out for a walk and I'll solve the problem I'm doing. I'll take a shower. I'll solve the problem. I've solved problems in my dreams. Uh, so taking yeah. a break is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. It it seems like uh, like one of those myths that people like to talk about where, you know, programmers are working even when they're not physically writing code. But it's so true. Probably the majority of it is just it's it's problem solving. It's thinking about it. And however you do that, whether it's going on a bike ride, going on a walk, sleeping, eating, talking with your family or your friends or whatever, I mean – you know, that 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 actually, uh, I think, leads nicely into the next one uh, in their segment two, the lone wolf syndrome and the copycat conundrum, which is that, uh, you know, the idea of the lone programmer locked away, you know, with their thoughts, just hacking away at something is not really the, the reality most of the time. So why don't you take number three? All right. Number three is the lone wolf. And the first sentence in there is coding isn't a hermit's job. I agree with the idea that they are trying to convey here, but I disagree with that first sentence. <laughs> uh, okay, it's so? absolutely, it absolutely can be a hermit's job. There are plenty of examples of people out there doing, being single developers, making amazing, uh, th- Stardew Valley, single developer, 
right? Like that, it's absolutely possible. I think Fez was like that as well, right? There are games out there done by single developers. There are plenty of, of websites out there, you know, web apps, apps. I've put out apps that were just me writing them. There's mm-hmm. absolutely a place for that. And to say that you should never work by yourself, which I don't think is what they're trying to say here, but is the way it comes across, uh, yeah. I would say is wrong. That said, yeah, work with other people. Uh, solving problems is often easier if you can talk to someone else about the problem or split it up. Like, Mike, let's say you and I were working on something. We were probably going to work on different aspects of it because we have different strengths and weaknesses. You know, mm-hmm. if, yeah. if anytime, you know, anytime I've written code in the last 15 years, if it touched a database, I would generally defer to someone else with that because I'm not great at that. That's, it's not a skill set of mine. And I've recognized that. And if I have to, I will. But in general, I don't. And so, yeah. you know, so some collaboration there is good. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, I've definitely been like the computer guy or like the web guy in several jobs where it's just, oh, you know, well, just let Mike, you know, he, he's he's the computer guy, so let him figure it out. And, you know, that, uh, that defined my early career. Uh, but as I've moved in, as I've gotten in my later years, yeah, I've worked on more teams and... Even when I've worked on uh, my own personal stuff, it's very easy to get into your own little bubble where you, you only you you and only your thoughts are the things that you're bouncing anything off of, and you can get tunnel vision on what you think makes sense. It, it, you know, just as in life, getting someone else's perspective is always always helpful. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to pair program, you know, yeah, or something. I hate but, that, for example. Like that's terrible for me. <laughs> yeah. But but having someone else like, hey, can you look at this? Or like I just had you, um, uh, you know, test like a proof of concept uh, web game that I was working on. And you found things immediately that like I, after working on it for hours and hours and hours, never saw. And I'm like, you know, how does that happen? I don't know. But that's what happens. Because so, people think differently. And that's that's a yeah. strength of uh, of teams. I, I really do like working in teams. I just don't necessarily like coding and i I hate pair programming but i do like splitting like we're all working towards the same goal we're all Mm -hmm. relatively knowledgeable about what we're what each other's working on and we're together coming up with a way of solving this problem uh, efficiently and effectively and leaning on each other agreed okay uh number four uh the copycat (laughs) so this is basically uh don't use stack overflow the wrong way uh, it, you know, it, they start off by saying, ah, the temptation to copy and paste someone else's code. It's like a siren's call, but beware, dear reader, for it's a dangerous path. Yes, there is a lot of code on the internet, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I've never just, you know, looked for an answer to an issue I was having and just copy and pasted someone else's code and put it in there to see if it worked. Now, obviously, I don't do that as much because I just know more, but... Really, and this is something, Matt, you've even brought up on, you know, some previous conversation where, you know, what you want to do is you can go on Stack Overflow or Google and find other people that have answers to your problems who have posted code. You look at that code, you understand that code, you use that knowledge to help you with your problem. You don't just blindly copy and paste it because... You know, if you don't understand what you're doing, you know, that it's it's probably more harmful and, and you're not learning anything, you know, and you're not really getting any better as a programmer. So, I mean, it's hard. It's also hard to disagree with this. And they also bring in kind of not only the it doesn't make you a good programmer, but it's unethical. It can be illegal. 
I mean, I, I, you know, that that's somewhat debatable, but in general, it definitely doesn't make you a better programmer and it's not something you want to trend towards, I think. Yeah. I think if you, if you dig into what they're saying, uh, as you just mentioned, some of what they're saying is quite valid, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. You should understand the code that you're, that you're stealing and not blindly copy and paste it, as you said. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I think that there's a ton of benefit in taking code and just using it as is. Um, that's what we're doing when we do an NPM install or any other kind of package management, <laughs> if you think about it. You're just yeah. using other people's code. Uh, I think it's important to attribute that code, right? If you do take it and put it in your in your code, say, I, you know, this is from, or even if this is heavily modified from a thing I got off here. I see that in my code all the time, not just code mm-hmm. I wrote, but code I work on. In big companies, uh, and a lot where you need to be careful from a, a legal standpoint is, as they say, uh, passing it off as your own. That is both yes. unethical and often illegal. Um, but also, uh, depending on the licensing of it, I think most things on Stack mm-hmm. Overflow are, by their very nature, they are just go ahead and use it, but you should still attribute it. Um, yeah. But yeah, if stealing it blindly nev- and not thinking more than once about it. Not a great idea, and definitely can make you... I don't think it will make you a worse programmer than you already are, but it certainly will not make you a better programmer. Right. Doing it. It's, yeah, no, I mean, it is definitely a, a habit. Like, I, I think they're they're putting this as a, it's a bad programmer habit, but I think really it's more of a beginning programmer habit. It's like, oh, I've never programmed. I don't know how to do anything in this language, so I'm going to go copy and paste someone else's and you know like you said if as long as it's legal and ethical and they've put it in the right licensing i don't think there's anything wrong with that but it's definitely something that you want to try to move away from if you can because it's not making you a better programmer even if it's not making you a worse programmer even if it's and especially for like web programming i think it's it's it makes sense to copy paste a lot of the time there Again, you should understand what you're doing and it shouldn't just be blind and you should be changing things. But, you know, if I want to make this button when I click it act a certain way and someone has already (laughs) written the code to do that, why am I wasting my time doing that? That's perfectly valid. If I take their entire code base and paste it in and just change it from Mike's fancy web page to Matt's fancy web page, Matt's fancier web page even. um, then then it's a problem. And so there's a line. Everything in moderation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so why don't you take us to segment three, the race against time and the emotional entanglement. I, I, I'd forgotten how, like, dramatic this this uh, blog post was. Yeah, I, I just reread it today, so I, I it was quite fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, coding isn't a marathon. Or, sorry, what it says here is coding is a marathon, not a sprint. Let's discuss the pitfalls of rushing and the hazards of letting emotions rule your coding. And I think I mostly agree with this segment. Um, okay. I certainly agree with what it's intending to do. But I also think aspects of it, in particular this first bullet I'm going to talk about, are ableist. And I'll explain why. Uh, oh, so the okay. deadline daredevil is their point number five. The deadline daredevil. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically they're saying... Don't wait till the last minute to do things. Don't use deadlines to make you get stuff done. And that's great advice. It's also incredibly ableist for uh, 
neurotypicals. Uh, so it's very much against like eight people with ADHD. Uh, deadlines are almost necessary for some people to be able to function. Uh, I have to set artificial deadlines to make myself get things done. Um, and I, but I absolutely agree with not procrastinating, but sometimes the right answer to get your stuff done is to not do anything for a while. Cause you're not going to be able to do it correctly. Wait, let your brain keep processing it. And then like, okay, I've got the deadline. Oh, Hey, I've actually got that executive function to process, to do something on this and jump in and get it done. Uh, Rome yeah. wasn't built in a day, but you know, if you're planning that entire time, you can certainly get a lot further than if you just jump right in. Right. Yeah. I, I think, uh, this is, th- there's, there's more nuance to basically all of these than they're really giving. And that's probably just by design. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it'd be way too long of a blog post if they got into that nuance. But like, I, I, I always thought like in college, uh, I, I, I went by this ethos of like pressure breeds creativity. And there were just sometimes were just like knowing that I had to get it done the next day. And this kind of leads into the whole, you know, staying up till 3am to get it done. So not something I want to do a lot, but it was amazing how effective knowing that I had to get it done, yeah. got it done. And it, it didn't necessarily lead to uh, sloppy code or more bugs like they're talking here. I mean, I think certain people, you know, like you said, uh, that, that executive function uh, is triggered in different ways and, and, and what makes you, uh, what gets the adrenaline pumping or what gets the, the, the creativity flowing is different for everybody. And, you know, if you're in a company, you know, deadlines are good. I mean, I do find deadlines being good for, uh, work because, uh, otherwise sometimes things just never get done, but I can also see how they could be, you know, an, an, an issue for some people depending on it. But I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's hard to really, say definitively one way or another so that this one i'm kind of like on the fence about i guess i i think as you said it's nuanced and that's what that that, that's what needs to be remembered is there's a time and a place for doing exactly this sometimes it makes sense to wait in college i was actually really good about getting my software work done early why because i found it interesting coding Mm. is fun for me and i liked these problems and i didn't find them particularly difficult uh especially the early classes because i had been coding on my own, not realizing that's what I was doing for, you know, over like a decade at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I was getting stuff done really early and like trying to break it. I was having fun. And then like my my essay writing classes would tend to be the thing they needed to wait for the end. Now, (laughs) uh, now in a job, there's code that there's parts of my job I really enjoy doing. I find very uh, intellectually stimulating. Those all tend to start earlier. And the ones I don't, yeah, that pressure breeds creativity, makes me think about doing it in a different way. And can that be negative? Can that be a negative? Absolutely. You could definitely end up with sloppy code that way. But if you're careful and mindful and take some moderation with all this, I think it's doable. Uh, talk about number six. Okay, number six, they call the... This is an interesting one. Uh, the emotional coder. And I'm just going to read their, par- their first paragraph here. Coding is a logical process, but we're human and emotions can sneak in. However, letting emotions dictate your coding decisions can lead to hasty, ill-thought-out solutions. Keep your heart out of your code and let your logical mind take the reins. Uh, hmm. 
I don't, I, man, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I, I don't have an immediate, like, yeah, that's right. But I also am not exactly sure how to put into words why I disagree with this. What, what do you think? I, I, I think I was talking with a friend the other day about uh, the ick factor. Right, they were we're specifically talking about dating. She's dating, okay. and and apparently this is like some shorthand that is often. I haven't had to date in like twenty something years, so I don't think. Thank goodness, uh, so I haven't had to deal with this. But uh, in particular, uh, a lot of times in uh, straight relationships, the women will often get an ick feeling from the guy, even though they don't know what it is, and it's mm. it's a. It's basically it's a trust your gut kind of situation. Is it was the context of that conversation? I think you're getting that out of this this section of the code. It like raises a lot of red flags. How it's written, what it says, but you can't put your finger on why. At least that's what it is for me. Because I read this and I was immediately like, "No, you're wrong." (laughs) Right? You got Um, emotional. But (laughs) but that's how it. But like, I don't like the way this is said at all. I think what it is trying to say, the author is trying to say, is. To make sure that you are like double checking your work, being rational, not not getting overly uh, precious about your babies, right? Be willing to throw mm. out code. Like from a yeah. from that perspective, I agree with it. But uh, my passion for my co- coding is part of what makes me a good software developer. When I'm yeah. excited about coding and I'm like in there and I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and I'm trying a million things. I'm getting stuff done better than I would if I was just like, yes, and the next logical step is to write the unit test number three before I write any code. As much as I like test-driven design, if I didn't have some sort of emotional connection to what I was doing, I wouldn't be able to do it. I think I know what you're saying. What you're saying is that we need Kirk and Spock. Yes, and Bones. you got to have the trifecta. And, and Bones, right. And, and this is like saying, keep Kirk out of the room and let Spock do the coding. And yeah. but Kirk's got a—he's got a—he's got a punch con in the face or whatever it is right. he's going to do. Yeah. Well, and so I, I, you know, to to give the author the benefit of the doubt, I think what they're saying is that while you're like, like the design and the discussion around the app or the website or the program or whatever you're making, you know, the, the passion is good. Like if you're working on a game or something, you know. Uh, passion is good because it makes you come up with interesting ideas and fun mechanics and, you know, cool art and music and all that stuff. And that's exactly what humans respond to because, you know, when you play someone's game, no one cares what the code looks like. They just care whether it's fun, but computers are cold and they don't have emotions and they don't care how passionate your var foo equals yay line is, you know, they just want it to conform to the syntax. And I mean, so, so I guess maybe the maybe the the reaction I'm having I'm having to this is like, well, duh, you know. I mean, like I, I'm not even sure exactly how I would put my heart into my code because if the compiler says this is incorrect, it's not going to work. Like I have, you know, yeah. I still have to write good. Can't be code, like fake so. news. It does compile. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I. So I mean. This is just a, an interesting, much like the emotions of humans. It's it's hard to pin down, you know, yeah. how exactly how I feel about this. But it, you know, the the sentiment seems good. Yeah, it rubs me the wrong way the way it's written. I think I understand what they're trying to say. I do disagree with with a lot of that. Uh, in that, I do think it makes sense. But yeah, objectively, the computer doesn't care about my emotion. 
Which right. means, actually, if I Yet. am emotional and I'm producing code that is that is uh, valid to the computer, then it doesn't matter if my emotion is in it. Right. So it's all about what works for you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Segment four, the procrastination pitfall and the premature surrender. Let's go. That's my favorite segment title of the bunch. I just it's got a lot of P's in it and it sounds cool. Uh, <laughs> so the first one uh, with the, the main alliteration in it is the procrastination pitfall. Um, and basically they're like, tomorrow is like kind of the, what do they say? The sweet siren song of procrastination. And it is. Uh, procrastination is bad. Um, I think the point they're specifically making in this is it's better to just start it now than later. Again, mm-hmm. going back to the deadline thing, problematic. Yeah. What I think the 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 nugget of truth I think that's in this that they they built this bullet point around that I think is correct is uh, don't procrastinate so far that people are then uh, left in a lurch because you didn't get stuff done, right? Right. Uh, if your yeah. customer is expecting something on Tuesday and you're like, eh, I feel like doing it on Tuesday, so I got it done, you know, Thursday, Friday, next week. You're not a bad programmer. You're just a bad employee or a bad uh contractor or whatever in that situation you're not doing a good job but does this make you a bad programmer no yeah you know i don't i honestly don't have a lot to say about this because sure procrastination is bad and they they call it a sweet poison which once again is quite a flowery way to put it but it but it is it's because it's like oh it means i can do it later and i don't have to do it now and i get satisfaction immediately but yeah, you, you know, if if someone's counting on you and you need to get it done, don't give in because you're letting them down. And, and if you agreed to do something by a certain time and you don't do it, I mean, you know, I mean, if, if that just happens, we all fall prey to procrastination. So it's not like you're a bad programmer, but I think a lot of us probably have issues with certain people who maybe are like always not on time. Or, you know, yeah. because, yeah, you know, it's just the, 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 the like maybe your keeps... friend is doing a podcast with you and he has, and he, <laughs> he forgets to charge the bike on the battery on his bike and is an hour late, you know? Nah. Hey, <laughs> when I was going up the hill, it was at five bubs and then it, and then when I tried to go back, it was dead. So yeah. stop. I, I am actually um, impressed that you were able to <laughs> hop online and do a podcast after pushing a 75 pound bike up a hill. I would have been like, we're going to reschedule. <laughs> I'm tired. Which leads us into the next bullet, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh the premature surrender, number eight. Uh what 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 a what a title. Coding can be tough and sometimes it's tempting to throw in the towel. But remember, every great pro- podcaster has faced challenges and overcome them. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I didn't ask for help uh after my <laughs> exercise uh fiasco. Um, but I did take a quick nap and I drank approximately five <laughs> cups of water when I got back and then I felt better. And you know what? I told Matt that I would be here to podcast. And while I was a little late, we're podcasting. So I kept, I did not prematurely surrender, even though coding can be a tough mountain to climb, even though pushing a heavy bike up a hill is hard. It's a steep learning curve. Um, and a steeper oh hill. It's like learning to it's like learning to push a bike. You don't charge the battery, but you still push it up the hill. Wow. This uh, is amazing. Who knew amazing. that that was going to come full circle? Um, amazing. I 
<laughs> I actually think this is one of the better pieces of advice in this article. Um, oh, really? Okay. Well, I think so. it needs to be tempered with a little bit of moderation again. Uh, mm. But I think one of the biggest problems I have seen in the last, you know, 20-something years of being a software developer in this industry where a lot of people do run into problems that they give up too soon. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like, this is hard. And instead of pushing themselves to figure it out, they'll say, go on Stack Overflow and copy some code in. Or they'll uh, go, you know, just they'll go ask someone uh, immediately for help, which I think are both perfectly valid things to do. But you have to, I think you have to push yourself past the point of being uncomfortable in order to learn. Um, like that's, that's a good way to learn things. Should you eventually give up? Yeah. Should you ask for help when you need it? Yes. Um, but so it's the premature part of the premature surrender that I agree with. Like, yeah, don't give up too soon. Stick with it. Yeah. Be tenacious. Have some persistence and, and get it done. Yeah. I, I like how you put it. Push past the uncomfortable because yeah, I think with all tasks, with all skills, you, you run into where you realize your skill is is going into an uncomfortable part where you you are maybe, you know, you're not there yet. You, you don't quite know how to, to fix or do that thing. And the much like procrastination being a sweet poison, giving up is also a very sweet poison because, hey, if I give up, I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah. And if it's 4 a.m. and you've been beating your head against the wall all night trying to figure it out, and you're like, well, I can't give up because that would be premature. Nah, 4 a.m., go to bed. Yeah. But but yeah, eventually, uh, you, you, like you said, you, you should give give up is maybe the wrong way. Surrender is the wrong way. But, you know, stop for a while. Take a break. Then stack overflow. Then ask for help. Then try something else. Then sleep. Your brain will love you for it and may be able to come up with an idea later that you couldn't come up with right now. But yeah, don't give up entirely. But do take a break. Uh, okay, uh, we got one more section to go. Segment five: the Empire. I mean, the unfamiliar code conundrum and the journey to becoming a better programmer. Oh. Okay, number nine. Take it, Matt. The unfamiliar code conundrum: using code that you don't understand is like trying to read a book in a language you don't speak. It's confusing, frustrating, and prone to errors. Take the time to understand the code before using it. Take note, familiar. comprehension is the key to effective coding. I agree with all of this. What's interesting about that is if this uh, program, if you follow all the advice in this article and the code that you are unfamiliar with is in a language that you've never seen before, you're screwed because you have no practice learning anything other than the one language that you have, which is why Ooh. knowing multiple programming languages is useful so that you can <laughs> understand different paradigms of doing things, what the syntax might be. You know, if I look at most code, I can figure out what it does in part because I've spent so much of my uh, adult life looking at different types of code in different languages. I I will intentionally use a language I'm not good with to get better. I will intentionally use code that I don't know to get better. But often what I will do with my unfamiliar code is I'll rewrite it because most unfamiliar code is bad. But that's that's just me being uh, picky. What do you think about this one? Yeah, when I read this one, I was like, wait, this kind of flies in the face of their first point, master of all, ace of none. For for all the reasons you just said, it's it's like if you don't familiarize yourself with a with a broad spectrum of coding, this will come up more uh, uh more often because you'll you'll see languages you don't you don't understand. And yeah, like you said, the more languages you at least familiarize yourself with, 
Uh, much like uh, human languages, you, you know, there are similarities. You'll see patterns. You'll see similar ways of doing things that are just slightly different, but you get kind of the, the gist of them, even if you couldn't necessarily write a program in them. And so, you know, I think that's why number one needs the asterisk, and so you don't run into number nine. But if you do run into number nine, because obviously you're not going to know every language that you've ever seen because people keep making up new programming languages, then yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to just take code like that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, they're saying allow the sufficient time to comprehend the intricacies of the code, uh, learn its inner workings. And remember knowledge is power. Um, (laughs) you know, I I actually have another counterpoint to this, uh, thing. Which is, this puts the onus on the person reading the code to be able to fully understand it. Uh, the mm-hmm. actual correct uh, thing about that, all the things they're saying in here is dealing with uh, unfamiliar code is difficult and error prone. All that's true. Um, which is why, when you're writing code, you should write it to be uh, clear, right? Mm. Code intending for people to read it. Put in comments to help people understand why some things do something. Name things appropriately. Don't name all your variables I. That will make <laughs> understanding the intricacies of the code less of a burden on the person reading it. That will yeah. make you a better programmer. Yeah, and, and even, even if you are just coding something for yourself, which plenty of people are doing, think about future you. Because we're not just talking yes. about other literal entities. We're talking about you five years from now, hasn't looked at the code, is going back to look at the code, and you're like, what is this nonsense? Oh, wait, I wrote yeah. this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I do love when I'm looking at code and I say, who wrote this? And I go to the git blame, and it was me. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was com- it was coming from inside the code. All right, and finally, number 10, the journey to becoming a better programmer. Becoming a better programmer isn't about being perfect. It's about continuous learning and improvement. Avoid these bad habits, the ones we just went over, I assume. Seek advice, create original work, and most importantly, keep on rocking. I mean, uh, keep your passion for coding alive. Bear in mind, every great coder started where you are now. Dull, lifeless, without creativity. So keep coding. They didn't say that. So keep coding, keep learning, and who knows? You might just become the next coding superstar. Hey, don't worry about becoming a superstar. Don't become a coding rock star. Don't worry about being a 10x or whatever nonsense buzzword they throw out on the internet. If you love programming, it, it like other skills and interests, it should just kind of come naturally. You know, you just do it because it's fun and interesting, not because you're trying to become a superstar. Uh, if that happens, woo, you know, good for you. But like, it should just be about becoming better at your craft because it's a craft. You know, there's art and there's science that goes into it. And you know, yes, we can all write a for loop, but some people's for loops are a little more interesting than others. Just saying. So wh- what do you think about this one? I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I actually like their bullet point here. Uh, okay. The first paragraph in particular about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, don't try to be perfect, continuous learning and improvement. I think that so true. It's very speaks to my heart uh, of seek advice, uh, keep your passion. All those things are good. Uh, the biggest place I, I stumbled on this was where, what you pointed out, becoming the next coding superstar. No, don't, th- that, that should not be your goal. Um, yeah. your goal, and if it is cool, good, good for you. You do you. Um, but that not everyone <laughs> is going to be the next coding superstar. Not everyone yeah. should be, uh, a coding superstar. You need different people with different skills 
to create good products. And in fact, most people who think of themselves as coding superstars that I have worked with are, uh, first off, not. And second, are just insufferable human beings. I am <laughs> definitely not a coding superstar, and I am quite happy to admit that. Many companies will even try to avoid hiring so-called rock stars because of that prima donna complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's definitely, the I think we mentioned before, like the guru problem where one person holds all the knowledge, and so they have job security, but if they're gone, all the knowledge goes away, and that's that's not healthy for a company. Uh, so yeah, don't worry about being a superstar. Just worry about being a good programmer and always constantly improving because everything is a process and an iteration. So, well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Hacking the Grepson. You can get more episodes at hackingthegrepson.com. And uh, until the next time, we now return you to your regular scheduled lives already in progress. 